Got your Bible turned to the book of First Samuel. First Samuel. And we have uh, our Passport Kids Summer Program in the house, and they're taking notes. I'm going to make it easy for you to take notes. And anybody else taking notes? Because I'm kind of a systematic person, and uh, that's the way I, I think my brain works like that. Praise the Lord. First Samuel. I'll tell you what chapter in a minute. So I got to go on this, my very first uh, bear hunt. And I went across per Prince William Sound, and uh, my son Ellie and I went together with one other person. We had gone with uh, Dr. David Martin. And we were on uh, the last day of our hunt, and I, I had gotten really hurt on the first day, and I was struggling to walk. And I was falling down a lot because my knee was coming apart on me and it wasn't very fun. It's better to check, check. And so we had got way back in this valley and we hadn't seen any bears that day. And we'd seen about, I don't know, 10 or 11 bears in the previous day. We were hunting black bear uh, and we're on our last day of our hunt, and I really wanted to get something that day. And I was struggling. We'd hiked this river way back. I don't know. It was about three or three and a half miles up this river. And we were sitting in the cold rain. It rained on us the whole time. Everything we had was sopping wet, not just wet. You know what? There's a difference. So... Dr. David had spotted this bear, and so we found ourselves needing to get in position to take a shot at this bear. If you're a bear lover, so am I. It tastes good. <laughs> Especially my wife's chili that she put him in. Wow. You won't be invited over for that night. You'll be invited over for hot dogs and things like that, not, not the bear chili. Anyway, so we found ourselves in this really thick alder wood, and I don't know if you've been in that, but that's especially difficult to navigate, wet and slimy, swampy, and all of the above, and I was having trouble walking anyway. So we had spotted this bear, and when we finally got to where we were within range, the bear is not there. And I was really disappointed because this is like, I don't know what, Ellie, in the 10th time we've tried to get in position and, and I'm making noise and I'm falling down. And so I stood in the cold rain with my weapon and I'm waiting for a considerable amount of time and we're looking up at this uh, mountainside and where we had seen the bear was about 300 yards away. And so I'm actually in a good spot in this alder wood where I could like maybe take a shot without hitting something in between. And, and Dr. David had said to me, I'm, I'm going to go a little farther and see if I can't see him. And so he just kind of vanishes. And so I'm standing there with my son, Elian, and we're in the, we're in the rain. And I'm, I've switched from the binoculars to the scope. And I'm, where did that bear go? This is our last day last hour. Where is this bear? And so we'd been there for about 30 minutes or so, and I'm tired of wiping my, you know, and it's cold and everything. And I, excuse me, I needed to relieve myself. 
So I handed my weapon to my son, and he's holding it. And as I'm taking the opportunity to relieve myself, I happen to just glance with my eyes, you know, no gun or anything, up on the, and there he is. He's looking at me. And I'm like, ah! But I got to be really quiet, right? So I'm like. So I, I finish my necessary duties. I said, son, there he is. So I take the gun and I bring it up. And guess what? He's gone. But I know I saw him there. I know he's there. And Dr. David, like, reappears from wherever he was at. And tells me, you know, we're going to have to start heading back. And I, I tell him, I know the bear is there. I saw him. He was looking at me. He was right up there by this little formation. You see that big wet rock? In the form, he's right there somewhere. And so he says to me, well, what do you want to do? Well, I'm not going to climb up there. I'm really having a hard time. He says, well, do you want me to just take a shot up there and see what happens? And it was decision moment at that point because if he fires off a shot, all the bears are going to know we're there and we're not going to see any more bears that day. And so this is kind of like, okay, do we take the chance? Do we risk it? Do we not risk it? So I just said, okay, let's do it. Take a random shot up there, and I'm going to be ready. And if he moves or runs or whatever, I'm going to back my scope off, and maybe he'll, I'll catch him in there, and I can take a shot at him. And so I was in a standing position, and, you know, that's really kind of hard to get a shot. You're kind of like... You know, and you're zoomed in or whatever. So I got a hold of a tree so I could kind of, you know, use it. And Dr. David got in a different position. Ready? I give the thumbs up. He's ready. Boom. He lets off this big shot. It echoes in the whole valley. And I'm like, oh, come on, Jesus. And the bear stands straight up in my scope right where I needed him to. It was, it was the shot, the faith shot that brought the bear out. And some of you have seen a photo that's not a real photo. Somebody manipulated the photo and put this big uh, teddy bear, right? This big kitty teddy bear, me standing over it with a gun. Anybody saw that? You were here and they put that fabricated thing up there? Don't put that back up there. That was not the real photo. Anyway, I got the bear at 300 yards in one shot. It was great. But it took this faith shot for the bear to come out from where he was. And when he stood up, he was right where, or at least close enough, he's right where I needed him to be. It was awesome. And as we were preparing the bear to pack out, I told Dr. David, I said, you know what? This is exactly what it's like operating in faith. It took a great step of faith, not knowing what would happen, but just acting. And so I want to share with you a similar situation in the Bible, because I want to encourage you and your steps of faith, because some of you, maybe you already took the shot and you're waiting on the bear to stand up. Maybe if you, some of you know there's a bear somewhere 
But you've got to make that risky choice of, mm, do I take the shot or do I not take the shot? Do I risk? Or maybe some of you haven't even seen the bear, but you're still hoping there's one that's going to show up somewhere. But God's got a great word from you from the book of 1 Samuel today and for me. So let's look at it together. Let's stand for the reading of the word. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel 14. So those of you that are writing notes, we're going to talk about Jonathan and his faith. And our text is 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse uh, 1 through 22, 23, 1 through 23. Let's back up one verse to the back of chapter 13, and I'm going to read. Let's read together. I'm reading from the, the old NIV, not the new one. Hallelujah. Let's read verse 23. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. Verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross, to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, and the other was Sina, Sina. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other toward, south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Verse 7, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay here. We are where we are and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philippines. Sorry about that. Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. 15, then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, 
muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. That time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talk, talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Lord, increase our faith more and more. Help me to communicate what it is that you've put inside me today, and give us ears to hear, we pray. Jesus, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. What an amazing story of God's intervention. God did some crazy things here. I hope you hear from me today a few things from Jonathan and about Jonathan that we can put into practice ourselves that would allow God to move on our behalf in such a way. We want God to do crazy, awesome, supernatural things for us. But there's a few keys to seeing that take place. And Jonathan gives us several keys right here. And I want you to hear them. And I more than just hear them, I want something to happen on the inside of all of us where we say, you know what? I could act like that. I could put action together like that. We want the faith of Jonathan to inspire us today. So, and maybe to confirm some things and affirm to those of you who maybe, like I shared earlier, you've taken a shot to see what will happen. And we're going to see what God does here. Okay? So, upon inspection of this story, we find a critical element of faith that unlocks God's power. Jonathan's actions, okay? Jonathan, first thing, this is number one. This is what you want to write down, those of you that are writing it down. Okay? Jonathan's actions were not based on natural evidence. What am I talking about? Let me give you a little background as to what makes this story even more epic, okay? First of all, Jonathan is on, uh, maybe you want to say, a very discouraged team. So Saul's leading. At this point, Saul, the first king of Israel, has disobeyed God, and Samuel has rebuked him and said, the kingdom is no longer yours. It's going to be given to somewhere, someone else. Saul is practicing some poor leadership here, and the whole team is pretty discouraged. In fact, they've gone from 3,000 men down to 600. Where do you get that? It's in chapter 13. I just didn't read all of that. That way you don't fall asleep here on me. But you can read back and look at it. 
So Jonathan, to look at this story in the natural, his natural, maybe our natural response would have been, man, these guys don't have it together. Nobody really wants to be here. Saul's not the guy anymore. I'm out of here. I'm going to go look for some other place to be. That's kind of our natural response because we tend to be sometimes bandwagon people. Does anybody know what I'm referring to when I say something like that? If you're a sports fan, there's this terminology called the bandwagon where you tend to cheer for whichever team is doing good. And if your team is not doing that good, you don't wear that hat that week. Unless you're like a really diehard fan and then you don't care if it's the Cleveland Browns who haven't won the Super Bowl, you're going to wear your Cleveland Browns hat. One of our staff members is from Cleveland, and I, I, I'm not going to mention their names, but their initials are Pastor Vince. <laughs> so I just picked the Cleveland Browns, all right? I'm just picking on them because I don't think they've ever won anything. But, you know, our natural response is, you know, we want to join with the crowd that's doing the great things. This was not that crowd, and Saul was not that leader. Who you follow does matter. Who your kids follow does matter. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But Jonathan's response was not based on what everybody else, see their attitudes and their perspective. He made a choice that wasn't based on those things. The next part of the story was Israel had no weapons. So here they are, this army that's out there ready to, you know, they're in position, battle time, Saul's leading them, and ain't nobody got a sword or a spear except for Saul and his son Jonathan. So out of all 600 guys, there's only two of them with the sword. The Philistines, in order to keep the Israelites in check, took all the blacksmiths from the land. So there was nobody in the land that could even make a sword or sharpen one. And so for the Israelites to like maybe, you know, cut their ground or whatever they're going to do with their tools or to, what do you call it, we plow, okay, to do any of that, they would have to take their instruments to the Philistine cities and pay the Philistines to sharpen their pitchforks or whatever they're using. That way the Israelites couldn't attack them. So here they are with a major disadvantage. The physical Natural logic is there ain't no way we're going to attack those people over there. We can't even hit them with anything. They got swords. We got tree limbs that we just broke off, brooms, whatever it is they're using. You can get the picture here of the overwhelming odds that were against them. Yet Jonathan makes this choice to act that is totally beyond what normal logic would say. And it speaks to us that faith is not based on what makes sense in the natural. A faith choice is not going to always add up. It just doesn't. Faith choices are risky. Faith choices put us in a position that... God loves and we don't love because it's scary to us in our normal 
way that we operate with the scientific method, hypothesis, gather all your data, do some tests to see what the results are. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody can remember that back in school? Yeah, faith doesn't work like that. And it didn't for Jonathan because he didn't make decision based on that. So, but he has a sword and his dad has a sword. So here he up and decides, I've got something I can do. I'm at least, I'm not going to sit around here. I'm going to do something. So the first thing is Jonathan's actions were not based on natural evidence. So the second thing, number two, are you ready? Jonathan's actions were based on his belief about God. Whoa, now here we get down to it. Because faith really makes us ask ourselves what we believe about God. Because what we believe about God really determines what we're going to do for God. And it determines just how big of a risk we're willing to take. God's, the way we see God and our perspective of Him, what we believe about Him, what we believe He's capable of, whether or not we really believe He's good, whether or not we really believe we're precious and in His sight, whether we really believe or not His promises are true, or are they for just a few people and, and they're the ones that tell us about it. Is his promises really for anyone who would believe? Those are really good questions. Faith choices make us come face to face with what we personally believe about God. Not what the church believes. Not what songs say. Not what our parents or our children or somebody else in our family believes about God. But what do we really believe Deep down inside, when you take away all of the fluff that's in our life, what do we really believe about God? Jonathan believed some astounding things. Let's look at them. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, let's look at the words that Jonathan uses, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. <clears throat> Maybe that doesn't sound like a powerful statement, but let me tell you what he said. He called them uncircumcised fellows. What is that all about? It means they're not in covenant with the living God, and we are. It means our position with the God of all creation, who made everything, is greater than the position that they're in. We are standing in a covenant relationship. Us and our children and our army is in a better standing than our enemy is. And we have God's favor and God's backup. And he calls them uncircumcised to declare there ain't no way they can call on the God of heaven and we can. His faith choice was based on his understanding of who, where he stood in relationship with God. And our faith choice begins the same. We are children of God. To as many believed, he gave the right to become the sons of God. Does that sound familiar to you? He gave us the spirit of adoption. We are his sons. 
We stand, as those of you that have parent, you have children, you understand what it's like for your, 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 child, your son or your daughter to be under you, under your protection, in your car, under your watch. We are under the watch of God Most High. And the blood of Jesus brings us a new covenant. The blood of Jesus puts us under his, his covering. We stand in a covenant relationship with God. And our faith choices begin with understanding that we are his and he is ours. Jonathan's first statement was about where he was in position with God. The next thing in verse 6, let's look at it. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Right here, Jonathan gives us the picture that not only is he in relationship with the living God, the one true God, but he knows he can get God's attention. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to act. He's acting on that covenant. He's putting a demand on the covenant. Can we put a demand on God? When we praise him, he shows up. He told us we could ask whatever it is we want in his name and he would do it. He told us to test him and see when he's talking about the tithe. Absolutely. Can your children put a demand on you? Yeah, they can. It sounds kind of odd to say it that way, doesn't it? Let's look at the woman and the unjust judge. God, Jesus tells this story about this lady who had been treated unjustly, and she went to the judge, and the judge denied her request. She didn't just go, at home, go home and cry about it. She showed up again the next day, and guess what? She got denied again. Bang! Bang! The judge got tired of saying no thank you and says to the people, can you just make sure she gets what she's asking for so she'll leave me alone? Jesus told that story so that men might always pray and never give up. That ought to speak loudly about our position and that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan knew he could, he could in his actions Get God's attention. The Bible makes it clear in the book of Psalms that his ear is attentive to the cry of the righteous. It is unbelievable to think of the privilege that we have, even if you don't participate in it, but the privilege that you and I both have to call on the creator of heaven and earth. Your voice he responds to. Whether or not you take advantage of that is up to you. But I take full advantage of knowing that when I enter into a time of prayer that I set aside every day, I'm bending the ear of the greatest power in the universe whom no one can change his plans. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. When he blesses, no one can change it. And I get to talk to him. And not do I just get to talk to him, I get to hear him. He tells me great and wonderful things I don't know. He lets me know what's coming ahead. I can get his attention. 
If you are not taking advantage of that, imagine what you're missing out on. Not just things happening in your life, but you're missing out knowing the God who created everything. So Jonathan knows clearly he can get God's attention. The next part, let's look at this. In him basing his actions on his belief about God, is nothing can hinder, verse 6, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan here clearly understands nothing is impossible for God. And it doesn't matter if it's just us two and in a whole army, because us and God is a majority. That in itself should, should inspire our faith and and present us that you have on your side, God is for us. Who can be against us? Huge army. We got no swords. We got no courage. Our leaders failed. Whatever it is, God is on our side. And he can make things happen for us. So number one, Jonathan's actions were not based on natural evidence. Number two, Jonathan's actions were based on his belief about God. And here we go. The next part that we want to look at in this story is God responded to Jonathan's faith. Let's look at what happened. Verse 15. Then panic struck the whole army. And you just thought God was a God of order. He brought panic and chaos right here. I was just trying to frustrate your theology right there. God, God brings panic and sends the whole army into some sort of supernatural chaos. The enemy has become so bewildered that they start hitting each other with their swords. The Israelites didn't need swords to win the battles. The Philistines did it to themselves. How about that? Sometimes we have these, these uh, uh, you know, preconceived ideas on how something should happen and so then we make a decision about who God is because maybe we don't have what we think we need to have in order to get the victory. We have these lists of things. Uh, I'll never forget my, my wife and I. We needed to buy a car. And we had had one child and we had one on the way. And we had this, you know, the two-door where you got to fold down the seat and try to maneuver the car seat out of the back. What a nightmare. And you're bending all over trying to put that five or 52 point harness around your kid and wrap them in gauze so they don't get hit. Put bubble wrap around everything. And we needed, we were wanting to expand our tent pegs on our car. We needed a little more room. We couldn't imagine you know, twice the nightmare of trying to do this with two seats and, you know, two doors and whatever. And our air conditioner. We lived in Maui and we needed some air conditioning and our air conditioning had horribly failed. And, and so did the window in our car. You couldn't roll it down. So we basically just baked and baked the kids wherever we went. Well, we could actually roll it down. It would just fall down. So we had to put a rubber slipper, flip-flops, in the window to hold it still. In Maui, you would call it a Maui cruiser. It needed healing in Jesus' name. So we needed a new car. 
we had zero ability to buy a new car. How old were we? 27, something? We had no money. And we had no, no, um, no, nothing to trade in on a new car. Nobody was going to take this beautiful, wonderful car that was good for us. It was just time to go. Hallelujah. So we decided we were going to take a step of faith that just didn't make any sense, but we're at least going to give God an opportunity to do something. You got to give him, you got to give God something to work with. Sitting around waiting on God doesn't inspire the Lord to move on our behalf. We go first. He follows. So we decided we were going to uh, go look at some minivans. I didn't really want a minivan. I wanted to be cool. 27-year-old guy. You know, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to drive something a little bit more sporty. You know, I at least wanted the odometer, you know, the speedometer to go up to at least, you know, a three-figure number, minivans, you know. So we go out, and we, we were looking at these minivans, and we got in this first place, and we get in the van, and we're not small people, so we're like sitting in here going, no. So we decided to go to this car dealership, and I walked on the lot, and I tell the guy, uh, I'd like to see your top-of-the-line minivan, please. I have no money. I don't have anything. And the guy looks at me and goes, it's $45,000. Well, now, today, that's not very much today for a car, right? But 20 years ago, when we needed it, well, not 20, 15 years ago, that was a big price tag for a car. And the guy is looking at me and goes, are you sure you want to look at that? Yeah, show me the top-of-the-line I have no money. I'm just acting like it. I'm trying to give God something to smile at. So we asked to take a test drive. Ha! We're in this red minivan, fully loaded. Looks like a spaceship. Woo! There's three figures on the speedometer. I think we can do this. Woo! It's got all the bells and whistles. It's got leather seats. Ha! It's, I've never driven a car with leather seats. What an upgrade. How much is this car? Uh, ouch. That's all right. We went and looked. We stepped out. Thank you for letting us drive this beautiful van. We, drove, we, we went to church that night, and somebody walks up to us who doesn't know anything. It says, I want to help you with your down payment, and I want to pay your car payments for you. Go pick out your car. Wow, isn't that amazing? So we picked out the one. And we drove it until it wouldn't drive anymore. God responded to our faith just walking out there saying, Lord, I think you could give me what I need. So God responded to Jonathan. Panic, the ground shaking, some kind of earthquake or something. The army's melting away in verse 16. Uh, verse 20, the enemy was in total confusion, striking each other. We thought we would have to have all these things before we could go buy that car. But God, all we really needed was God to show up. And he did the rest. 
And that's what Jonathan had. They didn't need a whole bunch of swords to win that arm to win that battle. They just needed God to make everybody else confused. God can do that. Number four of this story here. Number four, Jonathan's actions brought victory for the entire army. Jonathan's act of faith wasn't an isolated victory just for Jonathan and his armor bearer. It affected everybody that was watching, everybody in the army, and it even affected those that had run away from the army and had joined the other side. This one act of of crazy faith by Jonathan caused the people who were hiding in caves to come out of their caves and join the fight. When they heard what had happened, all these people showed up that that had lost their courage, that had defected to the Philistines, that had lost heart, that had given up. Maybe they were scared. They just didn't have the courage and bravery. They had been looking at the natural things. And Jonathan operated in the supernatural. God shows up, and all of a sudden, everybody's faith goes through the roof, and they all show up and chase the Philistines down and hack them all to death. Your acts of faith, our acts of faith, are not isolated little things, especially when you share great, your great testimony of what God does in response to your faith. Other people's faith starts being built. Your stepping out in faith affects lots of people. It affects your family. When you go tell your neighbors what's happened, it affects them. When you come share it here, and, or, or whatever it might be, you're sharing with somebody, your testimony affects people. Amen. Your step of faith is not just you, it's other people. It inspires courage, and it inspires faith. So, this is what we need to do after hearing this story and looking at these, these uh, aspects here. First of all, we need to get our picture of God. We need to allow our picture of God to get bigger. Let your, let your, let your definition of God be these words, limitless. Limitless. God of the impossible. He can turn anything bad to good. There is nothing he can't turn from bad to good. He's a rewarder of those that diligently and wholeheartedly seek him. A rewarder. God God specializes in rewarding. Let your picture of God get massive. Try to get it bigger than you think is possible. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, Beyond whatever I could ask or think, imagine. I can imagine pretty big. God can do even more. Let your picture of what God can do for you get enormous. May it make you confident in who God is. Have some confidence that God, all all he has to do is say the word and he changes everything. Get a picture of God is good. Maybe your picture of God is that maybe he just picks out a few people to pour out goodness and they just cheerlead us on until heaven. That's not the picture of God. He's good. 
to all. His mercy endures forever. His loving kindness is better than life. He's kind. Get your picture to uh, put inside your picture of God that He wants to bless you. He wants to surprise you with blessings. Get a bigger picture of God. The next thing we want to gather from this is our circumstances do not determine what God can do. That's a part of the picture. Whatever it is you're facing doesn't limit God unless you let it limit God. The only limiter to what God can do is you. We, we put borders and boundaries about what the almighty creator can do. He's limited himself. He chose to limit himself to us and our ability or our desire to believe him. Okay, the next thing is a step in the natural allows God to do the supernatural. A step in the natural. Jonathan didn't just stand on his side of the canyon and say, okay, let's just stand here. He had to climb down. He went across and he showed himself to the other army. He took some steps in the natural. Hey guys, here I am. All right, let's see what they do. All right, the next thing is if you see God twitch, go all in. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? If you see God just twitch, you got it. So Jonathan sets up his armor bearer and he says, okay, this is going to be the, the, the telltale. We've already exposed ourselves. We're already out there. We have no plan B. Okay, there ain't no going back. But we need to see one, just one little emotion, and we're all in. So he tells his armor bearer, if they say we're coming down, then God hasn't moved on our side. But if they just say, come on up here, oh, we got this. We were trying to sell a house on Maui. And uh, it was a good time to sell. We owned a home two blocks from the beach. We were in our 10th year of owning it. It was time to sell. And we had a person show up at our uh, house to view the house. And we were wondering, okay, God, they've put in an offer. Do we do this or not? And so we ended up selling our house. And it's the most amazing miracle you could ever imagine. So God gives me this word about uh, using my house to bless. And so we had used our house and made a way for a family that God had put in our heart to live in our house. And we had to make a choice before selling the house as to if we were going to like paint the walls and replace the carpet and you know, all those little upgrades that a lot of people look for. You know, they're, they're looking at, you've probably done this. You're looking at the web, the apps, and you're like looking at the pictures of the kitchen. What does the shower look like? Oh, look, marble countertops, whatever else. And so we had decided, because God spoke to us to make a way for this family, that we were going to honor what God said. And we were going to not move them out of our house. We were going to leave everything just like it was because this is what God said. 
and we're going to obey what God said. And so we didn't ask him to move out so that we could show the house, you know, make it all elaborate, you know, sparkly and all these things. And so we uh, go to sell the house, and this lady ends up buying the house. And then we just went to Maui to um, do a wedding, and we're talking with our realtor that helped us sell the house. And we're like, tell us about the person that bought the house. And he's like, oh, pastor, it's the most amazing story you've ever heard. She was looking for a house that no one had upgraded, that they didn't do one thing to. And so she sees online that you didn't do any upgrades to your house. And she said, that's the kind of house I'm looking for. So she pays us twice what we bought our house for. But, oh, you got to hear this. We had been praying, God, give us somebody that loves the house, loves the yard, loves the location, loves the everything about it, loves the color. So this particular lady that bought our house, on the day she showed up to view the house, now this is, we just took a step of faith and said, we're not going to change anything. She showed up with her little puppy dog. What kind of dog was it? Do you remember? Little fluffy thing. It's just her and the dog. And she turns the dog loose in our yard. And the dog is just like going crazy in our yard. It's happy. Its tail is doing the tail thing. And it's like jumping around in our yard. And she says, okay, we're going to buy this house. The dog loved our house. The dog loved our yard. The dog loved the backyard. So she moved heaven and earth to buy our house for the dog. What can God do for you? What can God do for you? He could send a little fluffy dog to act on your behalf. She paid a lot of money for that little dog to be happy in our yard. I happen to think that when the dog hit our grass, the residue of the Holy Ghost came on the dog. Our steps of faith affect others. All right, so I just wanted you to hear today that God's going to back you up in your steps of faith. Get a bigger picture of God. God's a great God. He's a good God. Step out in faith and give God a wide door. Give him a wide berth. Take those risky steps of faith. See what God does for you. Minister Micah, would you come and uh, play? Come on, would you stand with me this evening? You might be... Somewhere in this story of Jonathan, or maybe you see yourself somewhere in the bare story of of knowing it's there, but something's got to happen. I don't know where you might be, but I know this word is for many of us here, and maybe those of you that are watching online, and I want you to know God responds to your acts of faith. God's going to respond to your faith. What is it that you're facing? What is it you've maybe made decisions on? I'm encouraging you, wait for God to show up. I think the worst part of taking a step of faith is the waste. I mean the wait, not the waste. The wait. Kind of feels like a waste. You see, in the wait, you're waiting on God to do his part. You did your part. God, where you at?
That is so difficult. God specializes in absurd circumstances and you making the declaration, my God's bigger than this. I know what my God can do. I'm in covenant with my God and he's going to move on my behalf. Maybe he hasn't moved yet. I want to encourage you. It's worth the wait. Don't let the wait sink your ship. Just a little note on the wait before we take time and pray. That waiting process is it's God working on the inside of you. Let him finish what he's working on. Thank him for the wait. Lord, I thank you for making me wait for you. I hope you're encouraged by the word. We're going to take time to pray. Come on, won't you lift your hands? Just begin to declare. Make him bigger in your eyes. Make him bigger in my mind, in your mind. Lord, you can do anything. There is nothing impossible for you. You are limitless. I don't have to have swords to win the battle. All I got to have is you. God, you can turn anything to good. Come on, declare what he can do. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Come on, God, you can, you can do anything. I'm putting all my hope in you. I'm pushing all my chips into the table on you because you are a rewarder. You answer my prayer. You hear me pray. You can do anything. You can pay off my house. Oh God, you can give me a house. You can give me a car. You can turn my family around. It could be that God is waiting on you to take a step of faith. You might be here today saying, I need God to move on my behalf. He could be waiting on you to make some ridiculous step of faith like Jonathan did that makes no sense to us. But God looks at it and goes, ah, I knew he trusted in me. I knew she put her confidence in me. Come on, say this with me. Lord God, I put my trust in you. You're going to back me up. You're good to me. And I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living. Come on, now just thank him. Thank him like it happened already. Lord, I just thank you, God. I thank you, Lord. You hear me pray. I thank you, Lord. You're not going to fail me. You're not going to turn your back on me. You're not going to go back on your promise. What you say you're going to do, what you promise you're going to fulfill, what you bless, no one can unbless. You're the great God. Come on, let's sing a song about trusting in Him. You got a song there? One more time. 
Maybe you don't know the God I'm talking about today. You need to know the God I'm referring to. You need to know Jesus. You need to know him on the inside. You need to have a relationship with him like Jonathan had. You need to put all your confidence in him. It starts by making him the Lord of your life. It starts by surrendering your life and all that you are to his lordship and his leadership. You do that by receiving what he did for you. Those of you that are watching online, hear me today. When you receive what Jesus did for you on the cross, when he died for your sins and made a way for you to know God personally, he didn't just stay dead. He rose from the dead, proving that he can give us eternal life. So that even if this, even if this physical body dies, when you put your belief in him, though your body dies, you will live forever with Jesus. If you don't know that God, today's your day. We're gonna take time tonight. Those of you watching online, you're here with me. I'm gonna help you pray a simple prayer. If you need to know God, whether for the first time, or maybe you don't even, maybe you don't remember whether or not you surrendered your life to him, I'm gonna lead you in a time of prayer. Maybe it's been a while and you just kind of drifted off. You don't know if you're close to him. If he spoke to you, you wouldn't know it. Today's your day. It's time to get back into covenant with the living God, like Jonathan, and start seeing things happen, like happened for Jonathan. But it starts with making Jesus your Lord and Savior. So why don't you pray this with me right out loud. Sometimes I pray with my my eyes closed. Sometimes I leave them open like when I'm driving. It's a good idea. Today, come on, let's just make a declaration with our eyes wide open. Come on, let's just look up to where God lives. He lives in heaven, but he wants to dwell in your hearts. How does he do that? I have no idea. He's really big and he's really small because he can fit inside me. Come on, let's just talk to him right out loud. Those of you that are online, if you're driving somewhere, if you're sitting looking at a computer, whatever it might be, or if you're watching this at a later date, come on, just say this right now. Right now is your moment. Let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to belong to you. I give you my life. I believe in my heart. And I say with my mouth, you died for me, for my sin, for my shame, and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I put my life in your hands. You be my God. I'll follow you all my days. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for loving me. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Lord, you're so good. Thanks for letting me take a little extra time to share some stories with you. I hope I hope you got something from God, something from His Word. We have prophetic teams that are going to be ministering. If you need a word from God, we have some teams that are going to come up after, after we dismiss here. I'm going to ask uh, Minister Gill to come on up here. 
I'm going to ask him to lead us in prayer. If you want to know more about growing in God, you need to get in the Discover track. You need to get in our Foundations class. You can see Pastor Vince out there in the lobby say, how do I get going? You got to get in the growth track, the Discover track, sorry. All right, come on, let's pray. Minister Gil, won't you dismiss us here? And if you need a word from God, or Minister Ava and our prophetic teams are going to be right up here. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that is true, that is a light to our feet, a lamp into our path, God. I pray that this word will resonate in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, in our thinking, and that you would change things in our lives through it, God, and we would stand in faith. I bless your people now as they go, Lord, and bless them in the city, bless them in your field. Lord, that your face would shine upon them as they go. In the name of the Lord. God bless you all. Have a great night. In Jesus' name.